We live at the heart of our nation's democracy. And amidst all of the noise and busyness and excitement that pulses through Capitol Hill, one of my most peaceful moments each day comes in between dinner and bedtime when Alec and I walk through the church and lock everything up. The sun is dimming, the space is quiet, the world feels still. In his short story, The Deacon, John Updike writes about the holiness of a church sanctuary at the end of the day, watching the flickering votive candles, listening to the creaks in the walls, sitting alone in silence. A church is a place of sacred mystery where there is always much more going on than we can perceive. When Alec and I walk this space every night, I feel you here, even though you're not physically here. I also feel the presence of thousands of others who've gathered here in the past 200 years to tell God about their worries and to pray our country through crisis. Our Christchurch community is both intergenerational and transgenerational, meaning that it spans generations. Sociologists point out that one of the unique contributions religion offers society is supportive community. Now, it's true that you can go play soccer on Sunday morning with people of different backgrounds and that you can bond while you do that, but you're probably not doing that with people across age ranges. And a soccer team doesn't provide the same spiritual solace in the face of death or illness or connect to a heritage that goes back generations. The first time I entered this sanctuary, I felt the generations of prayers that saturate these walls. Such a feeling doesn't bloom from out of nowhere. It's planted and nurtured. We are the recipients of a gift that Christchurch communities before us have passed down to us. The Christchurch of 2023 is built upon the backs of Christchurch of 1794 and 1865 and 1929 and every iteration in between. Good people who believed in our mission and gave towards our mission with generous hearts. Jesus taught that God is a generous God and that as reflections of God, we too have been created to be generous. There is something about the experience of being fully alive that we cannot know until we discover what it means to be generous. When we're generous, we breathe God into the world. A good question to ask when trying to gauge our spiritual health is when were we last generous? This morning's gospel offers a message about generosity that might be hard for many of us to hear. Who among us wants to spend all day working out in the heat, 
only to be paid the same amount as the person who showed up right at quitting time. I would feel entitled to more. And that's exactly what Jesus is poking at here. These feelings of, I deserve, I'm entitled to, I have a right to this or that. These types of feelings run rampant in our minds and in our world, but they're not in alignment with God, nor do they contribute to us living as the best versions of ourselves. None of us are entitled to more than anyone else. It's all a gift from a generous God, Jesus says. If only we could take all the energy that we spend counting and keeping score and instead use that energy to try and emulate God's generosity. In my own experience, one of the things that moves us from a mindset of entitlement to one of generosity is when we experience receiving love or forgiveness or a second chance when we don't deserve it, but it's given to us anyway. We call this mercy and it's transformative. It's also generous. In this world of I am right and you are wrong and keeping up with the Joneses and there's never enough time, there's never enough money, I believe that churches like ours are needed more than ever to teach mercy and generosity. You know, there were 40 kids in our children's chapel last Sunday, and there were 11 middle schoolers in our youth group last week. Our children need a place to learn about mercy and generosity. Plenty of us adults do too. But evidently, mainline Christianity is struggling to make its case for these values. People who refer to themselves as, quote, none, N-O-N-E, not N-U-N, <laughs> have increased from 5% of the population in the 90s to 30% today. But here's the kicker. Most nuns, or most people who don't affiliate with religion, are not atheist nor agnostic, but what researchers call nothing in particular, people who aren't quite sure what they believe. And the majority of these folks once identified as Christian, but then stopped. The book, The Great Dechurching, estimates that there are some 40 million Americans that used to attend church but don't today. And it's not that these folks don't believe in God or value community. They just haven't found what they're looking for in the church or they've been wounded by the church. We need to do a better job of telling a compelling story about ourselves. If we can learn to tell a positive story, those who are looking for community will want to move in our direction. Here, six blocks from the Capitol, people of all ages and races and incomes and sexual orientations 
gather around the same table. People who work on opposite side of the aisle share the same pew and pass the peace with one another's family. We cannot underestimate how powerful that is. One of the geniuses of American society is civic cooperation. We are working to model that here at Christ Church. I'm humbly grateful that our post-COVID story here at Christ Church has been one of us growing together. The Episcopal Church released its growth data this past week, and our growth here is unique, both in this diocese and across the country. But while being a part of a healthy and alive church is terribly exciting, it's also true that our needs grow as our church grows. So as we kick off our stewardship campaign this morning, I want to take a moment to remind us that it's not our diocese nor any endowment that funds the ministries here at Christ Church. It's 90% your giving. To help further meet the needs of our growing community, Tate and I are increasing our pledge this year to $500 a month. I think it's really important for you to know that we're in. I hope that you might be in too. Amidst this busy Capitol Hill neighborhood that we call home, Christ Church has for over 200 years offered a sanctuary for every single person who has wanted to walk through our red doors. These walls around us are saturated with the prayers of generations. Our community today is built upon the generous investment of those who came before us. I hope that together we can commit to the same type of generous stewardship, passing this holy space down to the next generation better than we found it. I also hope that in doing so, we can convey to them the importance of community, searching for purpose, the biblical story, a life of prayer, the value of putting our faith to work in the world, and the knowledge that we don't have to contain all of the answers, that church is a place of sacred mystery where there is always so much more going on than any of us can perceive. At the end of John Updike's story, the deacon is alone in his old wooden church when a storm comes through and batters it. But he's not afraid. Instead, he takes comfort knowing that his church has held through all types of fierce weather before. And that it will continue to stand tall, even long after he's gone. In the name of God, amen.